Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 14. We'll read a couple of scriptures tonight before we start, and then we'll not be turning to them during the message. Romans chapter 14, and the verse 10. And if you have your Bible, take your time and get it open and follow me as we read a few verses here. Apostle Paul writing to the church, the Roman church. There's been some contention amongst them. That's nothing new in the church. There's not. Verse 10, but why... Dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou? That's a double question. Why dost thou set him at nothing, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now notice the word all. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now notice the word every as we come down to the next two verses. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord. Now this is the Lord speaking, not Paul, not Peter. Not me. This is the Lord God Almighty speaking. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow. And most of us have two knees, so every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I tell you, the Holy Spirit has a way of making something very clear. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. But judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block on an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And if you have been criticizing or condemning or accusing or speaking behind the back of a brother or a sister in the Lord today, you need to stop it. And you need to go and put it right. This is serious stuff here. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 9. Speaking to the 
church at Corinth and to every believer. For we are laborers together with God. We're not working for God. We're not working here in this church for God. We're working with him. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon, thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's the foundation, the only one foundation that we can build anything on. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, most valuable of all materials, most precious of all materials even today, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what, now get this wee word, what sort it is, not what size it is, not how showy it is, not how scholarly it is. It's, qua it's, qua it's quality, not quantity, God's after. What sort this work is. If any, man works, any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire, he'll just get out and no more. Now ye, now know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? One more scripture, Second Corinthians 5. Turn over a few pages. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident. You can read the context for yourself sometime. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So we know tonight that we're in the body and we're in the lifeboat and we know that we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether we're present or absent, we may be accepted of him. 
For we, here we are again now, for we must all appear. And that word appear doesn't only mean to be, appear to be seen, it means to be searched. It's a very strong word, this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Here's an awesome verse. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Paul says we persuade men. That's what I'm trying to do tonight, persuade men and women. Listen to me to take heed to these serious scriptures. That we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. We'll end the reading there, and we know the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his word. We will be drawn back and forward from those scriptures as we continue tonight. Of all the different scenes of judgment mentioned in the scripture, and there are many of them, only three of them really affect you and I. And I'm going to give you the three of them, and then I'm going to lift out the first two and uh, bring them to you tonight. There's the judgment of sin. The judgment of the saints and the judgment of sinners. The judgment of sin, which we'll be looking at at a moment as we come down to our message. The judgment of sin, the first one is past. And the other two as yet to be. But one of the other judgments, one of the other judgments, by the way, and I think I need just to speak a wee minute on it before we come to these others, is the judgment of the nations. The Bible tells us that all nations will be judged, especially those, but not exclusively those, with an anti-Semitic hatred for the Jewish people. For he that toucheth Israel toucheth the apple of his eye. You remember 420 years the children of Israel spent in Egypt. They were slaughtered and the judgment of God was on them and they bore the wrath of the ten plagues. And God buried Pharaoh and his golden chariots and his mighty men in the Red Sea. The judgment of God was on Egypt. And there's a greater judgment to come for the nation of Egypt. Then there was a Babylonish king, Nebuchadnezzar, who rose up and erased the temple and took the Jews into the 70-year Babylonish Captivity murdered their 
wives and children and raped the women. And the judgment of God fell on him and will fall upon and fell upon the nation. He himself bore the wrath of the righteous God and he was relegated out into the field like an animal where he ate grass like an ox and his hair grew as eagle's feathers and his nails like board slaws. On you can go on after people after people and nation after nation. God judged against the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Canaanites. Those are only a small minority of those that God judges and will judge. And I want to say tonight, and as I was thinking over this message, this came to my mind, that the German nation will stand in the dock for the six million Jews that they slew, men, women and children buried alive and gassed and burnt in the Holocaust, there's a day coming when the nation of Germany will pay for that very much. What about China? China that has suppressed and rejected the gospel of God all days. You've murdered thousands of believers and thousands of more confiscated and taken away that nobody knows where they are. Who are at this moment murdering children and babies and selling their body for parts and for cosmetics. There's a day of judgment coming. All these things will be judged. What about Great Britain? Do you know that Christian historians tell us that they can trace the demise of Great Britain back to World War I? when they sold Israel out to the Arabs and to the Palestinians. And from that moment of decline came in the Great Britain. And tonight, and this is what provokes me to say this tonight, for I think it needs to be got out. Tonight, they're a godless and a spineless and a powerless nation. I'm talking about Britain. Along with sleepy Joe Biden, they stand back and they watch men, women, children be murdered in Ukraine. And even today a hospital was bombed and they haven't the guts to step forward. And do you know why? Because they're powerless and God has turned against them. They crossed the Atlantic with thousands of men and thousands of tanks twice to Gulf Wars. There's a day of judgment coming. Children have been slain on the streets of Europe two hours away from me. Your heart would have wrenched when you saw those autistic children coming out of the home the other day onto a train and a bomb went off and the roars and cries of those children. Whenever the Battle of Britain was at its height, Churchill and those men called a day of prayer and they lined back over the Westminster Bridge for a mile, getting into the Westminster Abbey to pray, and God turned. There's no prayer now. 
No prayer tonight. And God help us. They're letting the dictator rule and run the country. And there's no end to what he'll go if he's not stopped. You may say that's uh, none of my business. Well, there's plenty. But that doesn't concern us tonight. But what concerns us tonight is the judgment seat of Christ for every believer. The judgment of sin, the judgment of saints, and the judgment of sinners. The great white throne at the end of the age. But I want to take you for a moment to the first of these because they're all inextricably linked. I want to take you first of all to the judgment of sin. And if you are truly saved tonight and born again by the Spirit of God and you have a testimony for God and you know without a doubt that you're washed in the blood and on your way to heaven, then you'll never, ever, ever come in under the judgment of sin. You'll never come against the wrath of God for sin if you're a child of God. Over 2,000 years ago, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He not only came in to save, he came in to redeem and to atone and to cleanse and to forgive and to pardon and to justify. And as a substitute for every man and woman that was ever born, on that old cross at Calvary, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He went down into the deep where there was no standing and all the waves and billows of God's wrath came over him. He died on behalf of us. He died in be, because of us. And he died instead of us. And every spittle that hit his face should have hit our face. And every brutal bludgeoning fist and scourge and hammer that hammered my Savior should have been ours. The hymn writer says, can you hear the dull blow of the hammer swung low as they nailed my Lord to the tree? And the cross they raise and the scoffers gaze at the man of Calvary. Well, might we sing here sometimes, oh, Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. Thy load was laid on thee, thou stoodest in the sinner's stead, and didst bear all ill for me. The tempest's tempest awful voice was heard, O Christ, it broke on thee. I thank God on that May morning, after 11 o'clock in 1970, in that farmyard in Fermanagh, looked away by faith to the finished work of Christ, and my sins were washed away. And the Lord Jesus said to me, and he said to you through his word tonight, Verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and he that believeth in me, that is, on him that has sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ, who walk according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. 
Is anybody saved out there this morning? Not at all. Maybe it's the great white throne I should be preaching. Oh, my friend, our sins and iniquities on him were laid. Born again by the Spirit of God, cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be remembered again, no more forever. A bag for her sins, a bottle for her tears, and a book for her name. My transgressions are sewn up in a bag, and they're cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. Make it tells us they're in; they'll never be remembered again, no more forever. Glory to God for Calvary and the cross and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and continually cleanses us every day. Because as E.T.H. cleanses, E.T.H. And the very thought of foolishness is sin and we get down before the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I sinned against you the day. Forgive me and cleanse me. And he'll cleanse us from all sin. And we'll hate it and we'll run from it and we'll not do it again. And we live holy and clean lives before the Lord and when he comes we'll not be ashamed of his coming. I wonder what you were at today. Christian, I wonder what you are at today. Do you really appreciate the spittle and the thorns and the nakedness of my Savior, the Creator, for you on the cross? I tell you, the people of God in Northern Ireland needs a vision of Calvary if ever they did. God help us. My friend, our sins and iniquities were gone. Praise God, tonight we stand forgiven at the cross. Redeemed, justified, purified, pardoned, washed, loosed, delivered from every sin. See, it's Spurgeon House and the tombstone in Norwood, Nor, Norwood Cemetery in London. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there go I, as foul as he, washed all my sins away. You're here tonight as a believer. You're saved. You say you're saved. You say you're born again. You say you're on your way to heaven and you sing these hymns and you love them. And I have no doubt that what you tell me is true and you're on your way to heaven. And so... The rapture. It'll be quicker than that. It'll be quicker than that. Boy, I'll tell you how quick it'll be. And if you haven't put it right with your brother or your sister, you need to get it right tonight. You need to get it right tonight. You know, about 12, 15 years ago, there was a wee girl, she was seven years of age, she was sitting in the back seat one Sunday morning. Seven or eight years of age. And after the meeting, she came to me and she said to me, I've been criticizing you in this church. I'm sorry. I think she was eight years of age. And it wasn't easy for that wee girl to tell me that for her face was as red. And I put my arm around and I said, God bless you, Dad. She's a growing woman now. 
You know the man left here one Sunday morning after the table and he never went home for his dinner. He drove I don't know how many miles to a man and he went to his house and he says, I'm sorry. Because some of these days, my friend, just as quick as a flash, Lord's going to take us up. He's going to take us out. And we'll be standing at the judgment seat before night. I didn't write these. Those are only a small portion of the scriptures regarding the judgment. I've gone into parables and all the rest. So we're going about our business and we're looking after our children and we're at work and we've come home and we come to the boat and we come somewhere else and we go somewhere else and we're chatting and we're talking and we're thinking. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the greatest evacuation of living men and dead men and women the dead in Christ shall rise first. And the unification will be the greatest unification ever when, when we're joined together with those loved ones, mothers and fathers and sons and daughters, all changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, all changed like onto his glorious body. What a day that will be. That wee child the mother laid the old cold earth. The greatest evacuation that ever happened, the greatest unification that ever happened, the greatest examination that ever happened, the great white throne. Because there will be billions, billions there from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. There'll be those believers that died in the sea and the sharks hit them. There'll be rich and poor and learned and illiterate, black and white. John in the Revelator in the Revelation says ten thousand times ten thousands. Does he finish there? Well that wouldn't be bad. Ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Hallelujah. All around the throne. I, Dick Shaw, I married him here. He was 107, in his 107th year. Probably about once a month of an average, he knocked me front door on a Monday morning something that I said wasn't right. It wasn't right as far as he was concerned. Sometimes he was right and sometimes he was wrong. But he came to me one Monday morning, knocked the door. He says, I don't know what I'd said this morning before. He said to me, he said, you know, There'll be more in heaven than there'll be in hell. Well, I wouldn't have argued with that. And he says, God has the preeminence in everything. And he has, you know. He has the preeminence in everything. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands all around the throne. What doing? What doing, my friend? I tell you, Singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. <laughs> Unto him that loved us and loosed us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We're not reading anything into it. We're just saying what the scripture says we'll be doing. 
To him be the glory and dominion forever and forever. All the volume, the word of God says it'll be like the noise of many waters. I had the pleasure of going to the Niagara in Canada, that great Niagara Falls, and going up to underneath it in one of those chartered boats that they had, and the spray, when you were from here to the blessed barn, the spray would have hit you. And the closer they got into it, I tell you, the roar of those waters, you wouldn't have been able to hear anybody even you shouting, what's this not going to be like? All shouting hallelujah to the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. (laughs) And when the praising's dying away and the singing's dying away, and I don't know how long it could go on, but it could go on for a year. We're not going anywhere, you know. Time's done. I don't know how long the praising and the singing's going on as we gaze upon the face of Jesus. As we see him royal in his royal robes on the throne, when we see the nail pierced in his hands, when we glimpse of Jesus, the Savior of all mankind, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I tell you, we shall see him in all his glory, the one who died for me. (laughs) Bless his lovely name. A spat on his face and the crown of a thorns. But he rose triumphantly and he's alive forevermore. And he's watching us tonight. He's watching this meeting tonight. Because he's been watching me all day and you too. He knows what you're, what's going on in your home. He knows all things. And when the praise and the singing and all dying away, he'll welcome his bride home. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. In my father's house are many mansions. And he tells us, we are told in the word of God that there'll be mansions and that there'll be rewards and that there'll be crowns and that we shall be reigning over places. We'll be judging angels and a whole host of things that it does. And he'll say, line up. On the podium, the judgment seat, the bema, where they all went at the end of the race to get their prizes. Now you listen to what I'm going to say. As we come forward and we're going to be judged individually, fairly, individually and thoroughly. There'll be no barristers, there'll be no lawyers, there'll be nobody to please our cause. From the moment he saved us, from the moment we were born again until that moment, we have to give an account of what we've done. You see, there's so many Christians and they get saved. Moses says, I've given the Lord my sin. What does the Lord want with your sin? 
He wants your service. He wants you to build his church. One by one we will stand at the bema. One by one we will face the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Not to be dealt with for sin. Not to be punished for sin. That was laid on him at Calvary. But for service. Taking it easy tonight so that these things will sink into you. But for service. Now will he say to everyone and come up here, I have five crowns for every one of you. I have places in the millennial kingdom for every one of you. I have angels for you to judge in every one of you. I have so much forever. I have so many. And there's so much going on in heaven. And there's so much for every last one of you. You're going to get everything. And everybody's going to get the same. Not on your life. Get that notion out of your head immediately. If that were to be the case, he would be an unjust judge. The Bible tells me that the judge of all the earth will do right. Let me say again what I've already said to plug it in. He will judge fairly, individually, and thoroughly. We will get what we deserve. And nothing more or nothing less. So maybe you're going to take this serious now. Paul says we must all appear. Not just the presence, but that word appear is to to search into our very beings before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for every deed done in the body. Every man's work and woman's work shall be made manifest that day, and it shall be declared and revealed before the billions. Every word spoken, every deed done, every thought, He'll show you very plainly the gift or the gifts that he gave to you when he saved you. When a man or woman's born again by the Spirit of God, God gives them at least one gift. Some two, some three. There's a bigger responsibility on them. Whatever that gift may be, he will show you where you did not utilize it or use it. He will show you what he saved you for to do. But you didn't do it. You're not going to get the five crowns. The Lord has gifted you with some gift. 
A man, 30 years saved, came to me not so long ago. He says, I don't know what my gift is. And I says, about time. Get away down before the Lord and get on your knees and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? God has a gift and God has a job and God has a work to do. And he'll show you where and how and when. We must utilize our talents, our treasures, our tithes, and our time. Is it any wonder Jonathan Edwards, that mighty man of God, said, Lord, every day, say, Lord, stamp eternity upon my eyeballs. He done the work. When we get to the glory, my friend, and we have done nothing, we have done nothing. He has done the work, the foundations laid, and he saved us to build on that foundation. You couldn't lay the foundation, or no other man could lay the foundation, and no Muslims or Mormons or anybody else can lay this foundation. This foundation is Christ, the solid rock. It's the cross, it's the blood, it's redemption, it's atonement. He done that. He started it. He put the foundation and he saved us. Now you build that. Just like any other building, you'll need men with different gifts. You'll need the plaster and you'll need the electrician and you'll need the plumber. And all those men working together will build that house and you'll need a roofer and you'll need men to know what they're doing. He has gifted you as, we, as he builds the house as he builds the church and the kingdom of God. And every generation he had men and women. But they had a choice. They had a choice. And you and I have a choice tonight. Whether you're building gold and silver, your building is gold and silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it will be burnt up. You go to the judgment seat and it'll all be burnt up. I didn't ask for that. I didn't tell you to do that. That's nothing to do with the kingdom. My friend, this is going to be this is going to be a day where we need to be prepared for. And we need to keep short accounts as the Catholic professional, one of the top professional men, Catholic men, said to him, I didn't see him one day, he says, Bertie, he says, I'm, I'm keeping short accounts so that when I go to the judgment seat, him attend the Mass every week. God help us. I says, how are you doing? He says, I'm keeping short accounts every day. He says, because I'll go to the judgment seat. I'll have too much. What does he know about the judgment seat? He chose us. He saved us. He called us as laborers together with him. And the laborers didn't turn up. He has called and saved us to be witnesses, to be ambassadors, to be administrators, 
to be evangelists, to be teachers, to be doctors, to be nurses, to be pastors, to be elders, to be Sunday school teachers, to be musicians, to be counselors, to be deacons, to be elders, and to be treasurers. Here now, come on. What? If God saved you to be an elder in this church or some other church, and you wouldn't even join it. Hmm? How do you know he didn't? How do you know he didn't save you to put you into ministry and into evangelist and into a pulpit somewhere? Have you lay before the Lord long enough in fasting and prayer to ask him? We need Sunday school teachers here. We will before long need more elders here and more deacons here. We need more deacons here. What will you say when you stand before him and you wouldn't go down into a tank of water when he commanded you to do it? You made all excuses under the sun to rise up in newness of life and say, the Lord has saved me, praise his name, and I'm obeying him. And I'm round the table, I'm obeying him. You make all the excuses you like. You don't think me that you can break the commands of the Lord, the command of baptism and the command of the table. You don't tell me that you can walk over that and get away with it. You'll have to make, you'll have to say there'll be nobody to make an excuse for you. If you don't know what your gift is, it's time that you know, you knew. You see, the problem with so many of us is we're bound. And I know I have a bigger audience than this tonight. And I know that there's thousands of believers out there tonight and they're not in the will of God and they should be. My gift is not your gift. Not Stephen's gift. There's a whole raft of gifts that God has for people to do. Hospitality, there's a book out there. Put your name in it if you could. Bless somebody. We're bound, we're money bound, we're house bound, we're work bound, we're Google bound, we're iPad bound, we're Facebook bound, we're Twitter bound. The care you are not bound to hell, not saved at all. Oh boy, a strong tonight. Pleasure bound, sport bound, but not God bound, not prayer meeting bound, bound. What sort of a school or university or training centre would it be if thousands enrolled for a year or two years, three years or five years? They give them essays and they give them homeworks and they give them modules that set at the end and they come back and there's no examination, no examination whatsoever. And they've all got the same doctorates. That wouldn't be right. No one is not right with God either. 
My, when you look at the missionaries, when you read Hebrews 11, you see these men and women for God, and we'll be touching some of them next night when we're dealing with the crown. But when you see these men and women that blazed out for God, C.T. Stood, who gave away over a million pounds in those days, and went out to die in the, in the mission field, men the cuts and tailor, and peep, dear people in Hebrews whose bodies were burnt and who were dressed, uh, dressed up in lions and bears and tackled them. Mothers received their dead to life, their children to life again. Oh, tell you, my friend. When you think of those tonight in, in, in North Korea, packed into the back of old containers and dying of starvation, those tonight that are being headed and they're attacked in the back of the hair in Afghanistan and they're pulling them back in front of their children and they're slitting their throat because they'll not say, Allah is Lord. You tell me that they'll get the same, you tell me that they'll get the same reward as you and me? I'll be an unjust God. Forget it. Let me leave you with this tonight. We always need to keep to the scriptures, and I want to give you a few examples as a close. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Both these men were just called just and righteous. Now get that. Noah was just, and, and, and Lot was called just. But there was a vast difference in their service for God. Noah built on gold and silver and precious stone and lot on the wood and hay and stubble. Because there's no value to God. And by the way, whenever Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth, you know, there'd been a big fire in Corinth. The whole city of Corinth, that whole city of Corinth was burned to the ground. And he's using this as an illustration. And all that was left was the gold and the precious stones and everything else was burnt up in fire. Noah built on gold. Precious stones and silver. By faith Noah warned of God not seen as yet moved with fear and prepared the ark to the saving of his house. And for a hundred and twenty years he labored and he hammered and he prayed and he worked until he got all his family in and the door come and the judgment come and they were saved. A picture of the church saved from the wrath to come. We're not going through the tribulation, be though. And into the ark they were safe in Christ and when the flood came and raised the ark up, they were raised up and I'll tell you, before the judgment comes he's going to raise us up into heaven. He prepared the ark to the saving of his house. And I, preacher of righteousness, the man of God, who stood against all the trials and all the blasphemy and all the hammered at him when he was building something when there was never even rain but by faith. What about the other boy? 
He lifted up his eyes and he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. And oh, he said, that'll be lovely. And he took his family and all down into Sodom above all places. And he tinkered in politics and business. And when the day of judgment was coming and God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he ran to his sons-in-law and he said, get out them and mocked them. They laughed at him. He had no testament. And not only that, but he, his wife was lost. She didn't get out, and some of the family didn't get out, and he himself would have stayed. The very angel of God took him by the hand, and he held back and he lingered. Man, he was sold out in that old sodomy business. I can never get over that wee phrase, and Lot lingered. Boy, I tell you, you'd have thought he would be. You tell me they're going to get the same reward in the glory. But I can tell you that Lot got in with the smell of smoke off him. Oh, he's in all right. Well, there's no five cries. He's going to be embarrassed. We're going to be embarrassed at the judgment seat. I was saying to Pat the other day, I hope I'm not John Wesley's not in front of me and Leonard Raven went behind me. The Lord doesn't want to embarrass us. He doesn't want to punish us. He's not punishing us for sin. But he's a just judge. And he has left us his word. And you see, tonight, if God's speaking into your heart or someone out there tonight, wherever country you might be in tonight, if God's speaking into your heart, flee and get done what he said for you to do tonight. If it's to go to your brother, if it's to go to your sister, if it's to pay back money, if it's to get down before God to get right for you, it could be there before 12 o'clock. Oh, I'll tell you. Time doesn't permit me to speak about King Saul and King David. Saul, full of jealousy and full of pride, one day filled with the Holy Ghost moving and working for God. He lost the power, he lost the anointing, and he ended up fiddling about with witches. He ended up saying, I played the fool. God help us. An awful thing to lie in your deathbed and say, Lord, I played the fool. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus will last. We'll put a full stop there. But when I am dying, how glad I will be that the lamp of my life was blazed out for thee. More hours watching television, more hours talking to people on the phone and on the internet. And a wee minute for God that they've been again and at the end of the day it'll all come out in every idle word. And he'll show you the big space where you were supposed to be. You were supposed to be an elder there. You were supposed to be a preacher in that place. You're supposed to be a missionary. You're supposed to be a Sunday school teacher. But you never did. 
never did. Let's do one more, two more. Remember the three pillars of the early church, Peter, James, and John? They were stalwarts. They were in the prayer meeting for, in the upper room. They were disciples and sent out by God. They were there, uh, and when the Holy Ghost came down at Pentecost, Peter blazed the trail for God, and thousands were saved. Brought into the kingdom of God, and Peter was crucified, they tell us, upside down. James, the brother of John, the pillar of the church, put into place there by God. The head was taken off him by Herod before they hardly got started. They were beaten, they were buffeted, they were put into prison. John, 90 years of age, banished to the Isle of Patmos, blistered and died in the blistering sun. And give us the revelation and the three epistles. All members and all laborers and all men who worked for God and were building on the foundation that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the foundation, they were all building on it in the time and in the way that they could. And then one Sunday morning... One Lord's Day morning in the assembly at Jerusalem, who walks in? Ananias and Sapphira. Yes. Saved. Mm -hmm. Baptized. Yes, probably. Smiling, shaking the hand. I shake your hand and I'm glad you shake my hand, but I won't give, doesn't give that for a handshake or a smile. I'd just like to ask your wife or your boy or your girl or your boss. They come in and they have a ball of money and they put it into the offering box and they go in and they sit down because what they were doing, they were they were selling bits of land and pieces and they were laying it all at the apostles' feet and the Lord told them to do that and the place was a mighty blessing. They were tithing their best and doing all that they could. You see, one thing at the judgment seat, I believe that many men will have to suffer loss for not tithing. We were to give the Lord the tenth that we're supposed to give him an offering after that. Not mind the talents. And puts a ball of money in and he told them, he says, I've sold the land and I've given them the money for the land, but he only gives them a bit of it. Liar. Why can I call him a liar? Because the Holy Spirit called him a liar because Peter faced him. He says, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. You see, if the eyes of Peter could see into what was going on in Ananias and Sapphira, and the both of them contacted, and they were dead within a couple of hours with one another. He spoke them dead. Three hours was it? Because when the church is moving in holiness and in righteousness and in power, 
And I pray often that God will read this assembly of people who are a hindrance. People who hinder the revival and grieve and quench and hinder the Holy Spirit of God. And if Peter's eyes could see into the heart of Ananias and Sapphira, in the eyes of him this flame of fire, as a flame of fire, pierces into the inward part of the soul and reveals everything, whether it's good or bad. A lot of repenting to do before we get to the judgment seat. The only thing we're not going to have time. What about Paul and Demas? You know, often thought about Demas, he must have been a, a very gifted man because he was with Paul on his missionary journey. He was a man who could preach and he was a man who could pray and probably a man that knew how to cast out demons. He had power. And then, very sadly, Paul takes up his pen and he has to write one day, Demas has forsaken me. He's gone back. Oh, backslider tonight. Backslider cold in heart tonight and I Pray in the day for many of What a way to go to the judgment seat. Demas has forsaken me. Do you think that Paul and Demas will get the same reward? Do you think Ananias and Sapphira will get the rewards that the apostles got? Your common sense would tell you that it wouldn't be right, Paul. Night and days in the deep, and pearls amongst brethren, and pearls in the sea, and pearls shipwrecked and wrecked and battered and left for dead. This one thing I do, Paul, that wrote these two of these readings that we read. He says, we're going to have to stand. We must all stand. Therefore, he says, the terror of the Lord I fear. Have we any fear of God tonight? Has the church out there any fear of God? Has pastors and ministers any fear of God tonight? When did you last call your church to fasting and praying and weeping? We must all stand. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. And all we'll be able to do is hang our head in shame when we see where we should have been and what we should have done and we didn't do. Put it right tonight. Oh, put it right tonight.
Let us pray. Whoever goes, we're not going to sing, whoever goes, go quietly. And I mean quietly. Don't loiter about outside, please. Just go. And those of us will stay, will stay for time of prayer, heart searching, praying for loved ones, praying for backsliders, praying for ourselves. Father, we just want to tell you that we love you tonight and we thank you tonight for giving us mercy and grace, giving us space to repent and time to put things right. Lord, forgive us for the way we treat you. Forgive us for our hypocrisy. Lord, on that day it'll be real. On that day it'll be truth. Father, we remember that John told us in one of his epistles, look to yourselves, that you lose not that which you've wrought for, but that you might receive a full reward. We quote that verse so often in the prayer meetings, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Lord, there's rewards. There's mighty blessings, Lord, for us. Lord, don't let somebody else have to do what we're doing. Bless those who must go. And help us, Lord, as we wait in prayer. For Christ's sake. Amen. Some of the elders will be at the door. If you want to speak to me, I'll be around the back.